Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. Please stand. Our hearts will cry these souls. 
Our gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when he had led them out, to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray once more for the Ukraine. Heavenly Father, we come before you once more. We pray for the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia that they may come to know you better, that they will be attracted to your message of hope and peace. Father, we ask that you quiet the bombardments that are going on, that you stop the fighting. But failing that, we ask that you bring everyone there to know your presence and to know your son. We also ask that you would step in and wrap your arms around the families and the police and all who live in Texas who are suffering from a great tragedy there. These things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well folks, it's Memorial Day. And, you know, it's kind of interesting, a little bit of the history of Memorial Day. It was actually started at the end of the war 
uh, the Civil War. And the date of the first one, and the first real celebration, the big celebration in 1868, was chosen by a Union general. He said, let's make it on May 30th because this is when flowers will be blooming in the North and in the South. So everybody can decorate the graves at the same time. Well, in some areas, though, that didn't work out so well. In fact, the pastors had to divide the people up. Like where in East Tennessee, where my wife's people are buried, they have four cemeteries in that small area, and they, they have different uh, Sundays in June that are their memorial days. They had to do that because the Union supporters and the Southern supporters were fighting. So they couldn't all get together on the same day. But it was a nice idea, and eventually it came together after World War I, when everybody realized that they had dead on both sides. Now, why was the day of, of the 30th of May selected? In 1868, that particular year, it was the day of ascension, the day when Christ returned to heaven. And that's what we celebrate this weekend. That Sunday was the day of ascension. You know, it had been perhaps the craziest three months in the lives of the 11 men, the men who called themselves the disciples or students of the teacher Jesus. It began those three months when Jesus raised their mutual friend Lazarus from the dead, the man who had been dead and in the tomb a total of four days when Jesus called to him and Lazarus walked right out of the tomb to the waiting arms of his sisters Mary and Martha in the town of Bethany just up on the Mount of Olives. And then they had withdrawn to the hill country for a few days and they returned to Bethany for a feast honoring both Jesus and Lazarus where Mary had poured a super expensive bottle of perfume on Jesus' feet, anointing him like the kings of old. The next day they'd walked over the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem with Jesus riding a donkey's coat to be welcomed with cheers and chanting and singing and the people waving palm branches as they entered the city for Passover week. They went to the temple. Jesus debated all sorts of people, besting them in every debate. And then on that Thursday evening, they had shared the Passover meal together. Jesus washed their feet, the act of the lowest slave. He predicted his betrayal, and he predicted denial. And then he broke the bread, and he blessed it and said that this was his body. And he took the third cup of wine, the cup of redemption, and said that it was his blood. And he told them to always remember this when they shared bread and wine. And then he told them that he would be leaving them for the Father. They walked to a garden. He prayed for them and for himself. Judas arrived with soldiers to arrest Jesus. He was taken away, tried, beaten, and convicted of the crime of claiming to be God, which, of course, he was guilty of because he was God. And then he was crucified on Friday afternoon until he died on that cross and a Roman soldier stuck a spear in his side just to make sure. He was mummy wrapped in linen with spices and buried in a rock-hewn tomb donated by a friend, Joseph of Arimathea. And everyone went home for the Sabbath, for the sun was setting. 
They went home lost in their grief, wondering what would happen to each of them without Jesus, focused inward upon themselves, worried and lonely and hurting. And then early on Sunday morning, the women claimed to have seen him live, alive again, and soon others reported seeing him. And that evening, gathered in prayer, most of the disciples saw him alive again, speaking to them, teaching them, and eating even some broiled fish with them. He was alive, and they relaxed and were joyful. And the world was a wonderful place again, for God had shown his presence in their lives. And the next week he showed up again in a locked room and Thomas finally believed. And over the next few weeks, for a total of 40 days, he kept showing up, speaking with them, teaching them scripture, eating with them, even cooking a group of them breakfast. And then on this day, the 40th day of his second life, he led them out to Bethany. Again, it's just on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. It's a town of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He lifted his hands and he blessed them. And then as he was blessing them, he was taken up into the sky and disappeared behind a cloud. And as you might expect, the disciples, they were shocked. They stood there staring up at the sky, probably with their mouths open. A couple of them probably caught some flies. Undoubtedly, some of them... Some of them were amazed and excited, and some of them had a bad feeling in the pit of their stomach, for Jesus had just left them again. He was gone again. They were alone again. They were beginning to turn inward into worry again, because that's what people do when they're worried. They, they turn inward. And then a pair of angels performed a job for which there had undoubtedly been great competition over the centuries. These two angels, suddenly appearing beside the open-mouthed, fly-catching disciples, said, Men of Galilee, and I'm sure they jumped, and I'm, the angels continued, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? And the disciples realized that they were still looking up, waiting for another glimpse of Jesus. And the angels continued, this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven and will come back, he'll come back in the same way, in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. A promise given again that Jesus will return. And they remembered what he had said, go stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power and then you'll be my witnesses. They had to wait. And then they had a job to do. And when the guy who gave you the assignment has recently returned from the dead and has just flown up into heaven in your very sight, he has credibility, you know. His orders need to be followed. His promises are good. Besides, he claimed to be one with God, and that resurrection surely seemed to confirm that. And with that, the disciples shook off their stunned looks, and they walked back over the Mount of Olives and down and into Jerusalem. They went upstairs to a large room where they were staying, probably the same room where they had enjoyed the Passover meal seven weeks earlier. And Luke tells us that present were Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and the second Judas the son of James. Plus Mary was there, the mother of Jesus, a group of women and Jesus' brothers. 
And they all joined together for prayer. And they waited. And they prayed. And they waited. And they prayed. They waited for the power that Jesus had promised to arrive. So why did they return to Jerusalem? Because they now understood that his claim to be son of God was not just son of God was not just words. They understood that his claim that I and the Father are one was not just a figure of speech. They understood that his claim to give life to whoever he chooses was real and true and and besides they had come to love him as students always love a good charismatic teacher who loves the students. Besides, in the last hours before he ascended to heaven, Jesus had given a couple of commands. He told them not to leave Jerusalem, but to, be bapt- to wait to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, where they would receive power. They were told to be Jesus' witnesses in four places, Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He told them that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in Jesus' name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Four places that they were to speak. Jerusalem, which was the center of the world, the place where the temple of God was, the place where people were supposed to be closest to God on earth. Here in Jerusalem were people just like the disciples with the same culture, the same language, the same ethnicity. The listeners were people just like the disciples. That was who they were to speak to in Jerusalem. And then Judea. It was the Wood County-sized area around Jerusalem. Here was the heartland of the Jews. Once again, a place where people were much the same as the disciples. A place where they could easily communicate with people and teach them what had happened with Jesus. And then there was Samaria, the area north of Jerusalem but south of Galilee, which was inhabited by people who were almost Jews. Instead of worshiping in Jerusalem, they worshiped at Mount Gerizim, which meant that the Jews of the day considered the Samaritans to be alien, dangerous, and very misguided. Perhaps the way we think of Americans who live very differently from us. But Jesus told the apostles to spread the word in Samaria. And finally, the apostles were to go to the ends of the earth. And to their credit, they followed this process. The book of Acts records that the apostles first preached repeatedly in Jerusalem, converting thousands of people to the way, which was what the followers of Jesus called themselves. Then they were forced to leave Jerusalem. So they moved to the outlying towns of Judea, and then several went to Samaria where a great revival broke out. And then the apostles dispersed to the four corners of the world, with some going to Rome, some to Greece, to Egypt, to Turkey. Others went to Persia, the land we know as Iran, and others to Iraq. Some even traveled to Afghanistan and into southern India where a community of Christians was founded that remains even today. Of course, they told people who told other people. Philip met the treasurer of Ethiopia on a road, and he took the faith back to Ethiopia, which has remained Christian even today. Disciples traveled to southern France, from which the faith spread throughout France and England and eventually to Ireland. 
And during the Middle Ages, Irish missionaries traveled to Germany and Scandinavia. Other missionaries traveled to Russia and even to China. Soon the Portuguese traveled around Africa to Brazil and even to Japan to found churches. And the Spanish traveled to the Philippines and South and Central America and the British came to America, North America, Australia, India, parts of Africa. And Russian missionaries even went clear to Alaska. The French went to Vietnam. American missionaries then traveled to South America, to New Guinea, to Korea. And now South Korea sends out more missionaries than anyone else does. They and Chinese missionaries are moving west through Pakistan and Afghanistan, through Iran and Iraq to convert the heartland of Islam back to Christianity. And Christianity is once again growing in the countries of the former Soviet Union, rapidly growing in India and fighting strongly even in China. Missionaries are making progress in Mongolia. For you see, the true disciples of Jesus do not just stand there looking at the sky waiting for Jesus to come back. They understand that the two angels were telling them, Jesus will return someday, but now you need to go back to Jerusalem, pray and wait for the Holy Spirit to arrive, and then get out and talk to people. So many people today, many people in many churches today have wasted months and years. They've become Christians, and then they felt that their only purpose for the rest of their lives was to come to church on Sunday, put money in the offering plate, sing songs, and ask God for help through prayer as they waited to see Jesus coming back in the clouds. But that's the same as the disciples who were standing there with their mouths open, looking at the sky until the two angels asked them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? For you see, a key part of being a Christian is to get involved in that mission that Jesus gave us. We're not just to wait, looking at the sky. Jesus will return, but right now we have work to do. We have a mission. And throughout the centuries, there have always been Christians who understood the mission. To lead everyone into the kingdom of God that Jesus began. To preach the story of what happened when God came to earth as a baby boy, grew to adulthood, and taught us that God loves us. That Then showed us how much God loves us by claiming to be God, allowing himself to be tried and convicted and executed for this claim, and then came back alive that wonderful Sunday morning to show us that everything he had said was true. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That God loves everyone not because of what we have done, but despite what we have done. That God is waiting to forgive us if we'll admit our wrongdoings, to turn toward Jesus, to choose to follow Jesus, and to learn what Jesus has taught. And that God will send us the Holy Spirit to guide each of us when we are baptized and have hands laid upon us and the Spirit prayed for Folks, just like the disciples on that Saturday after Jesus was crucified, we've been separated by COVID from each other. We've been separated from the community at large. We have been grieving for what we had lost. When we had regular church services before COVID, we took the presence of Jesus in our lives for granted. But then, when he went away for a while, 
we began to remember how much we missed him. Of course, he didn't go away. We just stopped getting together with other Christians. But now he's back and we're back together. We're free to walk around here in Cedar Grove, which is our Jerusalem. We're able to travel freely in Wood County, our Judea. We can even go to people we don't normally speak with. Have you noticed that our foreign-born population has grown here over the last few years? Have you noticed that there are people around here who have moved here from all over? Have you noticed that there are many new friends we could make? Yes, our Samaria has come to us. And with COVID came new technologies which allow us to go to the ends of the earth. In the last couple of months, I've connected with pastors and ministry leaders in Pakistan, in Nepal, in Kenya, in Uganda, and in many different places in America. Through our email newsletter and radio ministry, we can reach many, many people that we had no hope of reaching before. I had a person ask me the other day if it's okay to forward the email newsletter to some friends. Yes, of course it is. Forward it to anyone you think will benefit and maybe even sign them up for a free subscription. Get the word out and walk out into the world. Get into the habit of praising God to your friends and neighbors and family and see what happens. I know that many of your friends already attend a church somewhere. I don't want to take them away from that church if they're happy. But ask your friends where they attend church. Many may say, I used to attend such and such a church, but I haven't gone in months. Well, then invite them to visit us here at 1030 on Sundays. And if they say they don't attend anywhere or they don't believe, become such an excellent friend to them that they'll always want to be with you. And then... Invite them to join us. The children's ministry you've seen is expanding like crazy. The women's ministry is strong. New people are coming to us regularly and sticking with us. The mission is beginning to really get going here. So stop standing there looking into the sky, waiting for Jesus to return. We've got work to do. Work which Jesus assigned us. And if you don't know what to do, come and ask me what you can do. For as the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian church, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Let's do as the disciples did after Jesus ascended to heaven. Let's pray for guidance from God. Let's spend this week asking God what great plans he has for each of us and for our church. Pray every day for the guidance for yourself and for the church. And then let's be ready for God to do great things. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your regular guidance, but this week we want special guidance. As life happens... Let us not be filled with loneliness and despair. Let's not become bored with life, but instead become holy and at peace and set aside for your purposes. Help us to know your will for each of us and for our church. We're waiting for you to send us guidance and power and purpose. Show each of us our individual part in your mission to save our world. The events of the week tell us that there truly is a lot
that needs saving in our world. Pour down your grace and Holy Spirit upon us. Take each of us, no matter how much we are struggling in our ordinary lives, and show us how we can overcome the world with your help. Give each of us assurance that you are with us. Give each of us a story to tell of how you stepped into our lives this week and lifted us out of the ordinary. Begin a great revival in our hearts, in this church, and in this community. Guide us to read your word and join with your people. Be with those who are sick or injured or lonely this time of year and lift them up. Please help us to make time for you in our life. Help us to study, to hear your voice, and to praise your Son to our friends and neighbors and family. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77 just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the Give tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.